It's good to see you all. I'm going to go Old Testament on you today. You know, we've been in the, the gospel for a while. Now we're going to go jump back uh, to the Old Testament. And the title of my uh, sermon this morning is The Temptation of the Shortcut. And uh, we will be reading from 2 Samuel 24. We're going to do a lot of reading. We're going to read the whole chapter. You know, I get in less trouble when I preach when I read more scripture. Because, right, it's, that means it's less of me talking. So I like to read, put a lot of scripture into the sermon. So let us read God's word. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfold by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up, left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and he called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wickedness comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. In whom has the king of Israel come out? In whom do you pursue? A dead dog after a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. 
And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Hearing of God's word, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your truth that you've given us, Lord, both old and new alike, that shows us of your great love, your great sovereignty, your great goodness towards us. Pray now, Lord, as we unpack this word this morning, that you would open up our hearts to help us to see the truth that's in it. Help us by your Holy Spirit to grow closer to you and see who you are and to see who we are and how we so desperately need you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You all know what a shortcut is, right? It's a route more directly taken than... uh, when I was a kid, we used to had to walk home from school, right? Uphill both ways in the snow. I always say that in Pennsylvania. But my town was built like uh, blocks, so you had to go around blocks. But, you know, we got around the block closest to us. You know, you could walk all the way around the block, or you can cut through the alley and cut through your neighbor's yard, right? So as a kid, you learned which neighbor's yard you could take the shortcut to and which you couldn't, or where there was dogs, right? But the goal was to get to the place quicker, sooner, right? Getting to the destination at the end. But taking a shortcut is not always a wise idea. I remember when I was dating my wife and we went on a ski trip in Utah and uh, we were both skiing and I was a pretty good skier. She was just learning and we're up there, you know, maneuvering around the mountain and we come up to this uh, trail and it, I said, honey, that's short. We can get down there quicker. And instead of following, going looping around, she said, no, I don't think you ought to do that. Come on, it's easy. And so we start down it and we figure it's a double uh, black diamond with lots of moguls and you skied. And as we humped our feet down the mountain, I was surprised she still married me after that. But, uh, <laughs> but that was not a good shortcut. That was not a good shortcut. Before we uh, get into the story, I think a little background uh, needs to be known about Saul and David, all right? So I'm going to give you real quick through 1 Samuel. So Israel demands a king, 1 Samuel 8. Saul is chosen to be king, but we see he has immediate problems. He's impatient, he lacks faith in God, and he tends to disobey God on occasion. And so Saul, one day, is told by Samuel to go down to Gilgal and wait for him seven days, and then Samuel will come down and offer up some sacrifices. Well, the, the, the Philistines are pending in on, um, on, on Saul and his men, and he's getting a little worried, and he's like, when is Samuel going to get here so we can get the blessing? Well, he does not wait the full seven days, and he decides on his own to take the shortcut and to offer the sacrifices himself, which was a no-no. You you could not offer sacrifice. It had to be the priest, right? And so uh, Samuel gets there and he makes this quote. He says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord uh, commanded you. Saul took the shortcut, right? He took the shortcut by taking things into his own hand and offering sacrifices because the circumstances weren't lining up to what he was expecting. He could see the enemy, but he did not see God. He was not trusting God. Further in the book, another familiar scene, Saul is told by Samuel, you are to go and destroy the Amalekites 
and you're to kill everyone, and you are to take no spoil, right? Because the Amalekites, if you recall, when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, gave uh, the Israelites a problem. So he doesn't do it. He allows his men, right, to keep all the spoils, the good stuff. And they said, well, we're sacrificing them to the Lord. And then uh, we get that famous verse from uh, Samuel where he says, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? And uh, so he says, because of this, you have rejected the word of the Lord. You are also being rejected as being king, right? So they're having this conversation and Saul's getting ready to leave and, and uh, or excuse me, Samuel's getting ready to leave and Saul leaps and grabs Samuel's skirt and it tears, right? And Samuel says in that moment, says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to that neighbor of yours who is better than you. The idea of cutting or a torn rib, as we read in today's, is a theme in this particular chapter. Now, Saul would remain king for a while, but one day David would be that king. Meanwhile, David is anointed king by Samuel in chapter 16, but there is no indication of when he will take the throne, right? It will be in God's time. David has that epic battle with Goliath that every one of you have learned in Sunday school, right? David and Goliath. I still see those pictures in my Sunday school with the big giant and little David with the sling. And uh, he has that epic win, and he becomes famous all of a sudden. In fact, there's a big ticker tape parade for David and his men when they uh, defeated Goliath. But Saul didn't like it. Why didn't Saul like it? Well... Because what the ladies were saying, they were singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. He did not like the fact that he, David was getting more credit than himself. And it says from that day on, Saul looked at David with suspicion. He no longer trusted him. All right. And to make matters worse for Saul, his son, Jonathan, loved David. They were, it said their hearts were knit together. They were like best friends. And to even make matters even worse, David ended up marrying Saul's daughter, Michael. So all is looking good for David, riding high, and then all of a sudden everything goes south. Saul, out of insecurity and jealousy, tries to kill David twice with a spear and even tries to get his son to kill him as well. David has to get out of Dodge. He has to flee. He's on the run. David's rise to fame didn't last long. He quickly fell out of favor with Saul, and I'm sure Saul turned the people against him. You know, interestingly, this reminds me of another David. I was watching a Netflix uh, documentary on David Beckham. I don't know if you're familiar with David Beckham, great uh, soccer player, the young darling of the English soft soccer world, or football, as they would call it, who rose to stardom at the age of 17 for the great team Manchester United. Even became more famous when he dated and married a Spice Girl, Posh. Everyone in England and Europe loved him, right? But his stock would completely change and plummet at the young age of 23 when he got a red card, which is a penalty card for you that play soccer, no, that removed him from the game. And England lost to the dreaded Argentinians, which they hated, and the whole country of England was against David. 
and blamed him for that. It said he returned home to England where effigies of him were hung and burned on the streets. Death threats were hand-delivered through the door of his home encased in envelopes that had bullets in them. And the journalists would harass his family and ask him if they understood the extent to which Beckham had betrayed them and the rest of the country. Sometimes with meteoric rises, there are sudden falls. And both of them happened to these two Davids. But they, both of them bounce back. I want to put a map up. Joe, can you put that map up there? This map, and I'm going to go real briefly through it, is an indication of uh, David. The numbers, it's, if you follow the numbers, I don't know if you can see them all, but David had to zigzag across the whole country to stay away from Saul. He was on the run. First, he flees from Saul in Gibeah, and he goes up to see Samuel at Naoth and Ramah, but then Saul comes after him there. He has, then he goes back to Jonathan in Gibeah, and then Jonathan warns him, says, my dad's going to kill you. You need to really get out of here. And so he flees to Ahimelech, the priest, at Nob, where he gets some bread for his troops and Goliath's sword. In fact, that's the place where, remember, Jesus in the New Testament, they were talking about eating the bread uh, that came out of the, uh, uh, from, from the priest. That was in that particular instant. Well, he realizes he can't stay there. So David then goes all the way over west. If you look on the far end, Phil- Philistia, over there where the dreaded uh, Philistines were. And he hid there, but they were worried. He was worried he'd get caught there, that they would turn on him. So he ends up leaving there and going to the cave of Agilom, uh, which is interesting. When he went there, his family joined him. Because you imagine him, Saul's trying to kill you. What's he going to do next? He's going to go after the family. So he's going after the family. And then it says, interestingly, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul, about 400 men joined him. Now, how would you like to lead a group of tax teats, bitter, angry people? 400 of them, and live in caves and go all along. This was like, you know, I was a Rudolph guy, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Christmas coming, the island of misfit toys. This was the, these were the misfit people that David had to leave. But then David has to go to get rid of his parents. He doesn't want to hurt them, so he goes all the way over to number seven over in Moab across and drops off his parents over there. And so he's going to all these different locations and being chased by Saul. And you, you can take the map down now. So, And that's where we pick up today's text. David and his men are in a stronghold of Engedi. Engedi is a large spring on the steep western shore of the Dead Sea. And there were many caves there. But in about 2,000 feet above the Dead Sea. And shepherds would put their uh, sheep in there. Especially when storms came up. So think about this. Saul is with 3,000 of his best men. These are not ordinary soldiers. These are select special forces guys. And they come right next to the cave where David and his men are camping. Now, it had to be a rather large cave to hold that many of the, his, there was up to, it says it was up to 600 people. Now, this is, this is one of the funniest things in scripture. I don't know if you see it, but it says, Lo and behold, Saul goes into that cave to relieve himself. Now, I was going to, for 
keep it, you know, clean. And I'm going to use the P word, you know, potty. <laughs> but Saul had to go into the cave to relieve himself. And also believe, based on the context script, he was probably resting and tired, right? What a vulnerable place to be in, the king of Israel. David's men somehow are able to see him. It's probably pretty dark, and they think, boy, we got him now. And it's like they said to David, if you look at the words, it's almost like they sang the song. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because the Lord has given Saul into your hands, David, to do to him as it shall seem good to you. In other words, what were they warning David? They were saying to David, you need to kill this guy. And why? Well, think about it. Because Saul is not only David's enemy, but by de facto, he's the enemy of all those following him. They're not in good standing, right? Plus, you see a lot of injustice taking place here. David's being unjustly treated. Plus, they're probably getting tired of being on the run in caves. You know, there weren't Holiday Inn Expresses back then. These guys were always on the move, living in austere conditions, right? So it says then, David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. How he does this, it doesn't say. Probably Saul was taking a little nap and uh, he wasn't ready, realized what he had there. David doesn't grab or seize the kingdom by killing Saul, right? He shows great restraint. Why? He felt convicted. It said his heart struck him. His heart struck him. He was listening to his conscience, right? We call that thing the conscience. That part of the human psyche that can in, has mental anguish and feelings of guilt when we violate it, right? You all know that. You, from a little kid on where you know when you've done something wrong, you feel it, right? Despite what Sigmund Freud says, that the conscience is nothing more than an internalized authority derived from social religious rules and regulations, we as Christians believe that God placed a conscience, a sense of right and wrong in all of us. David knew it was wrong to seize the moment at that time and kill Saul and ascend to the throne, even though his followers thought differently. So he sneaks back to his men, and they carry on a spirited debate about the will of God for his life. Should they or shouldn't they kill Saul? What are they saying? They say, go for it, right? This is the providence of God. This is God's will. All the ducks are in a row. But I like how the New American Standard Bible says it. And David rebuked his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. That Hebrew word for rebuke or persuade notes both an eagerness and violence of David's men in prosecuting their desire and David's resoluteness in opposing them, as it were, by force. The temptation of the shortcut was in David's sight. He could be king right now, but it wasn't God's time. Have you ever had a big decision in your life to make and everyone's telling you, go for it? But something inside of you is saying, not yet, not now. 
It might even be your friends and family are saying to go for it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the right decision. You need to go with your gut, your conviction, your conscience. He could have said, but I can be king now. I can have that promotion now. I can make that quick buck now. David does not seize the kingship, but waits for God to give it to him. See, he understood that Saul was anointed. You heard that terminology, anointed by God. That word God, by the way, is the unspokable word, Yahweh. Every time where you saw the Lord, that God anointed Saul. And so to mess with Saul is messing with God. David's men probably felt a little bit let down after that, right? They were told, okay, boys, more time on your deployment. It's not over yet. They were waiting for it to end. But we must recognize that God's will must be achieved in God's way. The God, the end that God has ordained must be reached by the means that God approves. So David comes out of the cave and he has this conversation with Saul. He bows and calls Saul, my king, the Lord. He still showed him respect. And he questions him, why do you listen to those who say David seeks your harm? I don't think actually anybody was saying that. They all love David, right? They just had a big parade for him a few weeks back. He said, if I really wanted to harm you, I would have finished you off today. My men wanted to kill you, but I have not sinned against you, Saul. David recognized the providence of God when he said, the Lord gave you today into my hand. I love providence, the gift, the, the doctrine of providence. Listen to what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about providence. God, the creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free, immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. God's in control, based God's in control of all things, right? One of the oldest sayings of the ancient church summarizes the essence of the relationship between God and his people. Jennifer, I'm going to do my Latin here. Deus pro nobis, which means God for us, right? Uh, and I got that, who do you think I got that from? R.C. Sproul, you know, he always does the, uh, the Latin. That is what the, he says, that is what the doctrine of providence is all about. It's God being for his people, What then shall we say to these things, Paul asks? If God is for us, who can be against us? And who, who can separate you and me from the love of Christ? Paul is saying that no matter what we have to endure in this world as Christians, nothing has the power to sever the relationship we have with a loving and sovereign God. David knew this in his heart, that God was for him. And he knew that he would bring him about his will about. David appealed to the Lord for justice, not to Saul, by the way. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. He understood that ultimately justice would come from the hand of God. How are we then to deal with injustices and wrongs that come our way? Our answer many times is vengeance, right? Get back at him. But as Paul said in Romans, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. 
I will repay, says the Lord. When you read the story here about it, David, it's not fair. David's getting a raw deal. But folks, if he had the, uh, you know, the fast forward on his uh, old VCR and could fast forward what's going to come one day, he would have seen that there's going to be much more and something greater, right? This same David will one day have someone who comes through his offspring, the son of David, Jesus the Messiah, who will take away the sins of the world. Think about that. He couldn't see that. If Saul would have wiped him out there, there would have been no son of David. Well, it says Saul goes home and David and his men go back to their camp. We know the story. If you read the rest of 2 Samuel, Saul goes after him again. He doesn't change. Well, let me quickly go through um, some application. What can we learn from this story to help us to live? Okay. I got four quick points. Number one, Recognize that we all will have difficulties and hardships in life. And most of them are not our own doing, right? <clears throat> David is a great example. He, he didn't ask for all this. He was plucked out of nowhere. He was minding his own business, right? Being a shepherd. And then Samuel had to go over there and anoint him to be king. And then he got called up into Saul's house. Why? Because he was a great harp player. And he ends up you know, doing everything right. He killed the big... Uh, Goliath, he led many armies to win battles. He did whatever they asked him. He didn't ask for this trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, number one. Number two, recognize that not all opportunities or open doors are God's will. All good circumstances that seem to line up are not necessarily God's green light to do what you want. We must be discerning, and I'm not saying it's easy. David did not go through that door and kill Saul. Some practical things. First, we should ask, does this violate God's word in any way, this decision, this door? Second, how do you feel about it? What's your conscience say about it? And then third, we should pray and ask the Lord for discernment and wisdom. When providence puts something in our lap, it may not be the right choice. I'm sure all of us have stories of things that looked so good, and we took it and we realized that was not the right choice or vice versa. Number three, be aware of the temptation of the shortcut. It can be easy to find a shortcut to avoid suffering and difficulty or to advance one's agenda, right? Uh, Brent Kirchville says, it is easy to find the shortcut in sin. In fact, sin is taking a shortcut from the path God wants us to take. Every temptation is Satan trying to tell us to take the shortcut. You know, it could be something as simple as fudging a resume or your application by overstating your credentials to get that job or get that into that elite institution, right? We saw that recently with uh, especially those trying to get in the, the elite colleges. It may, might be sharing a tidbit of bad information on a coworker that you know you're competing with for a job to get that shortcut to the promotion. Think about this. Adam and Eve took the shortcut, right? Abraham took the shortcut and listened to his wife, Sarah, to lay with Hagar. They couldn't wait for the promise. 
they were going to what? Speed it along. Sometimes we're tempted to speed along things. You know, we are dealing with that shortcut today between Abraham. It's called the Arabs versus the Israelis. <laughs> Two offshoots. Rebecca and Jacob took the shortcut and deceived their father, Isaac. He didn't have to do that. He would have eventually got it because, as Paul said, the Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. The Bible was filled with people who take shortcuts. Why? Because that's who we are, right? Looking for the easy way out, looking for less work. That's precisely why we need a Savior, right? Some of us want to take a shortcut to holiness, right? We want to become very spiritual without going through all the steps, the long arduous journey of life. Jesus was presented with short cuts all the way to the cross. Matthew 4, 8 says, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. He could have taken that shortcut and avoided the suffering and the pain of the cross and received the kingdom, but he chose not to. Peter would say, Jesus, he'd take the shortcut, avoid the cross. When Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day be raised, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, say, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Thank God our Savior did not take any shortcuts, but took the path of the cross. And last point, finally, for trust God's timing, trust God's providence, which sometimes means we must learn to wait. All right, do you and do I really believe Romans eight twenty eight? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Do we believe Romans eight thirty one says, if God is for us, who can be against us? David went through tremendous testing and had a shortcut presented to him that he did not take. And I believe he didn't take it because he trusted in God's providence to make it done in his timing. Why do I say that? Well, he penned a few psalms while he was on the road there. And listen to a couple of them. One of my favorites, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, how about 3,000 of Saul's elite troops? My heart shall not fear, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. Psalm 31. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. He recognized that his life was in God's hands. Our time is in God's hands. Soren Kierkegaard, there's probably two of you in here know who he is. I know Harold knows who he is. Soren Kierkegaard, the famous Danish theologian and philosopher, said that Christians reminded him of schoolboys who want to look up the answers to their math problems in the back of the book rather than work through them. There's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> because we, want to, we don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to go through all the difficulty. We want to fast forward to 
to the end. We yearn for shortcuts. But my friend, there are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. We must take the long and arduous journey set before us by taking up our cross. But we don't do it alone or in our own strength. We look to the one who went before us, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Stay faithful on the journey. There's a crown that awaits us all. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your example that you've given us and and David at this time, and we thank you that he was faithful. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Help us, dear Lord, to to, to, to see the path before us and take the right steps and be discerning, Lord, of open doors. And, and help us keep our eyes on Christ. And Lord, if there's someone here today who does not know you, Lord, I pray by your spirit you would cause them to be born again, that they might see you, Jesus, that they might follow you and walk after you as way. Lord, we again, we thank you for this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.